And today, with God's help, we shall consider baptism as a means of grace. Please turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. The book of Matthew, chapter 28. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 18 and 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we consider baptism as a means of grace. Lord, we pray that you would give listening to our ears, understanding to our minds, and belief to our heart. You would help us, Lord, to therefore obey your word. Pray that you would be with us, Lord, as we meet in this most unorthodox way, but in a way that has been, Lord, Lord, willing a blessing to all of us over the past now eight weeks. I decrease, Lord, so that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, here in Matthew chapter 28, our Lord Jesus Christ commands his disciples to baptize all new believers in the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord promises that as they do and as we do, that his presence will be with us and them until the very end of the age. We all know that there is much debate over baptism. But what is abundantly clear among many other things that will not be discussed today is that the Lord Jesus Christ tells all the faithful all down through the ages to baptize in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has assigned to his church in his word specific means whereby he nourishes and strengthens our faith. We believe that baptism is one of those means that God uses to strengthen and nourish our faith. Consider the 93rd question of our Baptist Catechism, which asks, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? You will notice, if you have the Catechism in front of you, uh, that our Catechism does not say, what are the outward means that save us? But rather, what are the outward means that communicate or grant to us the benefits of our already accomplished salvation? And here's the answer. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer, all which means are made effectual to the elect for salvation. And if you went further in our catechism to question 96, it doesn't stop there. 96 asks, 
how do baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation? And the answer is, baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation, not of any virtue in, in them or in him that doth administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of the Spirit in those that receive them by faith. This describes what the earliest particular Baptists believed and points to the idea contained within the Great Commission of Christ being that his disciples, or of Christ, being with his disciples as they baptize. There is a great blessing as we baptize in the name of Christ, namely that Christ has promised his special and unique presence with us. And we may ask, well, isn't Christ always with us? Yes, he is always with us. And Christ has promised to be uniquely, listen to this word, or especially with us when we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as Christ is present with us, as the word of God is faithfully and accurately taught, so too Christ is with us when we by faith come to be the waters of baptism and are baptized in the name of our triune God. Therefore, now let's consider three points concerning baptism. Our first point is going to have four sub-points, so please pay close attention. Here's our first point. Four important points about baptism. Four important, and there's sub-points. Four important sub-points about baptism. Here's number uh, 1A, if you will. The act of baptism does not save anyone. The act of baptism does not save anyone. This idea is known as baptismal regeneration. That is the idea or the belief that the act of baptism has the ability to regenerate someone, to save someone, or in other circles, to start the process of regeneration. Those circles are not connected to our circles, let me just say. In generations past, Healthcare was not what it is today. Parents who believed in the baptismal regeneration that one could be saved through baptism would baptize their babies. Why? As an insurance policy, if you will. An insurance policy that they would see them again. Uh, the idea was their children may have passed, but at least they got them baptized before they did. So at least they would see them again. Because they believed that they were somehow uh, giving them a, a right to salvation or that they were being saved through the waters of baptism. Now, it may seem silly, but we must also be aware of, of our own thinking. That we are somehow saved when we come to the waters of baptism as well. The act of baptism cannot save anyone. The scriptures teach that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not of works. And this includes outward religious works. Baptism in and of itself does not save. Subpoint number two, this would be two, uh, number one B, if you will. Baptism is a command of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ instituted baptism as an ordinance or a sacrament for his church, which is to be obeyed and practiced. Therefore, 
it is right that we seek to understand baptism, both in its practice and in its benefits, because Christ has commanded it for his church. And if we are his church, then we must obey it. Subpoint number three, this would be uh, 1C. Baptism belongs to the church. Baptism has been given to the church. Brothers and sisters, baptism has not been given to non-believers. Baptism has not been given to those who have not the ability to profess their faith in Christ, i.e. infants. It has not been given to one individual to, to baptize whomsoever he wills. And it's not been given to a religious paragroup or organization. You know, baptism has been given by Christ to his apostles and to the church. The book of Acts 2.41, the apostle Peter is preaching a message of the gospel that cuts the people to the heart. And their response was repentance and baptism. They were baptized. Those who gladly received his word, the Bible says, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is the beginning of the description of the church in the book of Acts. God has always had an assembly for a covenant people from the very beginning. But the New Testament church began to practice baptism as a sign of the new covenant. That's important. The New Testament church began to practice baptism as a sign of the new covenant. We read of Paul's baptism in Acts chapter 9. Or Lydia's baptism in Acts chapter 16. And also in chapter 16, the baptism of Cornelius. And as these were being baptized, they were displaying the sign that Christ has given the church to show that they are a part of the new covenant is the sign of baptism. Baptism, then, was a practice of the early church. And in addition to the clear command of Christ to observe it, we can, by right understanding of the scriptures, conclude that we are to do it as well. Fourth, fourth point, fourth subpoint. Baptism is a one-time observance. Baptism is a one-time observance. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper is a continual observance. The Lord's Supper is a continual sacrament that should be practiced as often as we meet and as often as we gather. Baptism, however, is a one-time event. We do not baptize an individual every time that he or she feels like they need to be closer to God. I hope that's clear. It's a one-time event. We must not say, I, I, I need to feel the way I felt when I was baptized. If I could just get that feeling back, maybe I should be baptized again. No, brothers and sisters. First of all, we don't go searching for feelings. Why? Because our feelings are unreliable. The word of God is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. It's the only thing that is sure, not our feelings. If we relied on our feelings, then how many of us would still be following Christ today? But also, we don't see any examples in the scriptures 
of someone being baptized and then being baptized again and then saying, hey, you know what, I, I'm feeling a certain way. Maybe I should get baptized all over again. But baptism is a one-time event. Now, let's make this clear. If you were previously baptized, but baptized in a false church, like the Roman Catholic Church or a Mormon Church or a Oneness Pentecostal Church, and let me just say, or anything that is a false church like these, then yes, you should truly be baptized into a true church. But other than that, baptism is a one-time event. Let's turn now to our second point. The baptism, ordinance, or sacrament. Baptism, ordinance, or sacrament. You may be familiar, or you may not be familiar, with the language or the terms ordinance or sacrament. If you've been in our church for any length of time, you have most likely heard these terms, ordinance and sacrament. If you were raised in a Roman Catholic church, you will be very familiar with the word sacrament. Though we can use uh, these terms, ordinance and sacrament, interchangeably, it is important to correctly distinguish the two. Technically speaking, ordinance refers to that which has been ordained by Christ. I'll say that again. An ordinance is that which has been ordained by Christ. Sacrament refers to what an ordinance, in terms of what it does, does when it is blessed by the Holy Spirit, meaning it becomes a means of grace. It is sacrament. It is a sacramental for the one who comes to it by faith. So it has been ordained by Christ, and there is a blessing attached to it when the Holy Spirit works through it by faith, if that makes sense. And if that doesn't make sense, we can talk more about it later. When you use the words ordinance or sacrament, it is meant to communicate two visible signs that Christ has commanded his church with the promise of a blessing. And baptism is one of those signs, one of those visible signs. The other will be what we talk about next week, the Lord's Supper. When we use the word sacrament, let me just say we don't mean what Rome means. That is the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church uses the term sacrament to mean that by it, one is saved or one is made savable. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that when you receive one of the seven sacraments, by that reception of that sacrament, you are made savable. You are uh, you are placed in a position where now you can receive grace from God. And that's why we believe that, and Rome may deny it, that, that they believe and practice salvation by works. When we use the term, it is used to show that Christ has ordained or commanded it, and when we come to it by faith, the Spirit of God will bless us through them, those sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. They are, therefore, a means of grace. A sacrament points to something that we need to remember. 
We tend to think about the sacraments uh, beginning in the New Testament only, but God has always given his people visible signs to remind them and to proclaim what God has done in his word. They, they are visible and they are tangible signs that God has given his people. You, you may remember the Lord gave to Adam and Eve a visible sign, didn't he? Actually, two of them. They are the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And by those two trees, the Lord God visibly proclaimed a message of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one of life, the tree of life, to Adam and to Eve. Therefore, when they saw these two trees, they knew and remembered God's word because those two trees spoke loud and clear of what God has promised. If you eat of this tree, you will die. If you obey, you may partake of this tree and you will live. Noah, and all of humanity for that matter, they were given a covenant sign, weren't they? A visible sign. It's a sign of the rainbow, of God's promise of preserving humanity so that the seed of the woman might be born and bring many sons to glory. Adam was given, or Abraham was given a sign, wasn't he? It's a sign of circumcision. The sign that uh, through him, a seed would come. It was a sign that God would bring his people into the promised land. It was a sign that uh, from him would come many nations. Similarly, since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, those visible signs that the Lord God has given to his church are the baptism and the Lord's Supper to remind us of the promise that God has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are called signs because they are not just things that we do, but rather they are the word of God in a visible form. When we see baptism, when we see the Lord's Supper, they are proclaiming and declaring to us, the people of God, a message from God. When we come to the waters of baptism, we proclaim that faith in Christ alone is what saved us. We are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then listen to this. We are then immersed, covered, buried, if you will, in the waters of baptism. And then we rise out of the waters of baptism. And through this rising, we are proclaiming, through this visible sign, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how, how is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ Proclaimed in the visible sign of baptism, in going to the waters of baptism. Well, Christ was alive. We stand before we go into the waters, don't we? Christ was buried. And we too, in a, in a sense, are buried in the waters of baptism. And Christ has risen. And when we come up out of the waters, we are proclaiming that because Christ has risen, we too shall be raised. Baptism is a word from God made visible. We are seeing symbolically, visibly, what is accomplished in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it is such, it is a means of grace. Sacrament or ordinances, they are signs that are pointing to something great. And when we observe them, God is proclaiming his word through them. Now, this is important. 
not that, that there is something audibly heard from God, but rather there is something visibly proclaimed by God. It is the message of the gospel of grace being given to us in a visibly tang- visible and tangible way. Baptism is not just something we perform in order to celebrate, hey, I'm not going to hell, I got baptized. That's the reality. Our faith saves us from the justice of God. But it's more than that, isn't it? And Christ promises that it is more than that. There's an ongoing message that we need to remember when we uh, and live out because of our coming to the waters of baptism. It is that Christ has lived, he has died, he has risen and ascended for our justification. And when we come to the waters of baptism, we are taking a covenant sign declaring to the world that we have placed our faith in Christ, that we are now joined to Christ, that we are one with him, and that we are also one with his church. And also, when we come to the waters of baptism, Christ has promised that he is also with us there. Dear ones, that is an ongoing blessing for the church. And it's not just, as I just said, it's not just for the person who's been baptized. That's why when we uh, practice baptism, we all come out to the waters of baptism. We all are witnesses. Uh, we, we don't leave and when the person is coming to the waters of baptism and say, well, praise be to God for you. And uh, I'm glad for you. No, it, it's a corporate event. It's something that when someone is baptized, we corporately gather. We corporately unite. And when that person is baptized, they are showing that they are a part of us, and we are telling them that they, uh, we are a part of them, and they are a part of us. It's a blessing for all of the church. When one descends into the waters of baptize, uh, baptism, uh, when they are, they are raised, when they walk in newness of life, we all must joyfully reflect on our own baptism. Rejoice when that person is baptized. God is still saving sinners. God is still bringing people into his flock. Praise God for that. And when we see this, it becomes a sign for us again and again and again. And it serves to nurture, to nurture our faith in Christ. Let's go now to our third point, where the New Testament regularly calls believers not just to see it, but to remember it. Let's discuss four subpoints about remembering our baptism as it is a means of grace. Number three, baptism is a means of grace. Baptism is a means of grace. Now, let me just say to you as I'm getting into the third point, if you would like more, uh, a more, I think, thorough uh, study on this, you can go back to our archive just a few, maybe months ago. So there were, we did a teaching on Baptism, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that. So, subpoint number A, if you will, subpoint A for number three. Baptism is a sign of proclaiming union with Christ. Here it is again. Baptism is a sign of proclaiming union with Christ. Uh, all of us, kids included, you know what a sign is. Some of you kids and even adults, if we're honest, when we're taking long trips and making our way back home to Bakersfield, 
We're searching for those signs with those numbers to the side of it, aren't we? You may be coming from L.A. or coming from Fresno, and you see the sign Bakersfield, 100 miles. Well, you know that the sign is not Bakersfield, but rather the sign is pointing us towards our destination. In the same way, baptism is a sign. Baptism is a sign which points us to something else. It's a sign that points us or proclaims us to us our union with Christ. Let's go to a few passages to uh, make these points, I think, even more solidified. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. As you're turning to Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, this is what God's word says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk, so too walk, sorry, so too, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Brothers and sisters, if that was the only passage in the scriptures, then we might begin to think that baptism is what saves us. But we must remember that we interpret Scripture with the whole of Scripture. We cannot form any doctrine based upon one single verse that is taken out of its connection to the rest of the Scriptures. The text says that when a Christian is baptized, it is a picture. It's a sign of their union with Christ. The death of Christ becomes the person baptized death. So therefore, when we are overcome with guilt because of past sins, remember that Christ has died for those sins. And your baptism is a reminder that when Christ died, you also died. Let's go to another passage, Colossians chapter 2. Hold your place in Romans because we're going to go back there again. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Colossians 2, 11 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. And in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised also you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead when you were baptized in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh we have been declared guilty because of sin and rebellion against God but through faith 
alone in Christ alone. God's penalty was placed upon the shoulders of Christ, and Christ has carried that guilt all the way to the cross and has nailed it there. Just as in the physical act of circumcision, there's a cutting away. In the same way, Christ was cut off in the place of the believer for our sake. It is now circumcision of the heart performed by the Holy Spirit that is the replacement of the old covenant sign of circumcision. Just as in the Abrahamic covenant there was a sign, circumcision, pointing to promises, so under the inaugurated new covenant there is a sign of the gospel promise of grace, and it is the sign of baptism. Baptism is a sign which proclaims union with Christ, our union with Christ. The scripture does not give us the idea that the act of baptism as an act itself is what buries our old self. Let's, let's be clear about that. Rather, when the Holy Spirit is connecting us to the work of Christ and baptism then becomes a sign proclaims that we have been united to Christ and to his church. Think about it. When one is baptized, we who have been baptized should celebrate with the one who has been baptized. They are receiving the sign of the union with Christ. And we are identifying ourselves with them. They are a part of this body and the body of Christ. It's like a marriage ceremony almost. And actually, it is compared to in the scriptures as a marriage ceremony. How so? The scriptures often refer to baptism as being our union, our union with Christ. And there was no other place in the scriptures that referred to anything as being a union other than marriage. Therefore, when we come to the waters of baptism, and when we are standing in front of the witnesses, it is as if we are engaging in a ceremonial marriage covenant with God. And the sign that is being presented is the sign of baptism. Just as this ring is a sign of my union to my wife, baptism is a sign of your union with Christ. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments again. But baptism is, is not a celebration of what we've done. We should not be baptized and say, you finally did it. No, Christ, through his spirit, has done it. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that has drawn you and I near to the waters of baptism. This is why we, when it comes to our children, we should be very uh, careful about how, how quickly we bring them to the waters of baptism. Do they understand what it means to be united to Christ? Do they understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they understand what it means to be united to his church, that you are one with them and they are one with you and your responsibility that comes along with that union? Brothers and sisters, rightly understood, baptism is a covenant sign. It declares God's promise to all who come to him by faith in Christ. Baptism is a sign that portrays our union with Christ. In two places, Paul uses baptism to picture this reality. Let's go to our, our second sub-point. Baptism is a sign that preaches new life. Baptism is a sign that preaches new life. Brothers and sisters, when, 
one comes to the waters of baptism, it's a visible sermon. You would call the scripture that we have just read in Romans chapter 6. Let's go back there again. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into life, into death. So as, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Baptism does not just point to the fact the believer has been united to Christ in his death. But baptism points to the fact that we have been united to Christ in his life. And there are two aspects to this. We have a spiritual life that we did not earn. It was granted to us based upon the merits of Christ and applied to you who have faith in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. But that life does not end when you die. Just as Christ has been raised, so too you. You who place your faith in Christ, so too you will be raised. Baptism is a sign which preaches new life visibly. Think about it again. When we come to the waters of baptism, and and maybe some of you can remember the cold waters that maybe you were baptized in the winter, or maybe you were like my wife and I, who were baptized in cold waters of the Kern River. When we come to the waters of baptism, we stand, and then we are brought low, aren't we? Symbolically, we have lost our lives. Think about it. When we were brought to the to the to the bottom of those waters, we deserve to stay there. Because of our sin and rebellion against God, we deserve to have whoever was holding us keep us down at the very bottom of that water. But grace, grace and mercy from God Himself raises us. And raises us with Christ. Not because of our works. But we are not kept at the bottom of the baptismal waters. Because of our own righteousness. We are raised from the bottom of those baptismal waters. Because of our faith in the righteousness of Christ. Just as Christ has lived. So also because of Christ. We will live. Christ has risen. And so too we We rise from the depths of those waters. Just as Christ rose from the dead and exited the tomb, we rise and we exit the waters of baptism and we live unto new life. And do you see how this is a sermon of the gospel before our very eyes? Listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many of, of you were baptized into Christ, listen, he says, have put on Christ. Paul refers to this putting off and this putting on in his epistles. When we emerge from the waters of baptism, we are being washed clean. It's like washing the filth symbolically from our lives. We are walking in newness of life. We are putting on new garments, taking off the old filth and putting on the new clean garments of Christ. When we emerge from the waters of baptism, it is a sign of new life. 
that we have new existence in Christ, which has been wrought by Christ. This is why Paul calls Timothy, and all of us for that matter, to remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. You have left the old man behind, symbolically. You have left the old man behind. You have taken off the old dirty garments. You are now in Christ, so put on Christ. Remember your baptism. When you are tempted to sin, remember your baptism. You have taken that off. Remember your baptism. When you are tempted to give up, Remember your baptism when you are weary and discouraged. Remember your baptism when you are overwhelmed with fear. You have new life in Christ. Put on Christ. Put on the new garments of Christ. Remember that you have been baptized. How do I remember? Well, you've been given a sign. Just as this ring is a, a, a sign of my union with my wife, So your baptism is a continual reminder of your union with Christ and his church. And I have that sign ever before me, and so do you. Let's go to our next sub-point. Baptism is a sign that we have been united to the body of Christ. Not just to Christ, praise God for that, but also to the body of Christ. Just as we should not observe the Lord's Supper by ourselves, but with the body, baptism is intended to be practiced in the presence of the church, to show how we are a part of the church. Baptism is not just a a rite of passage. It's not just a, hey, here's your certificate, you got baptized, or here's a card, congratulations on your baptism. Although those are are wonderful things, baptism is, is meant to be celebrated in a uniquely spiritual way. You are now a part of this church. And baptism, listen to what I'm about to say, baptism cannot be separated from church membership. If you are baptized, you are declaring that you are also a member of the body of Christ. Therefore, baptism and membership are bound to one another. Let's go to the the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all. Do you see Paul's emphasis? One, one. There is one body of Christ, one Holy Spirit, one Lord, one baptism. And what's the point? The point is that we are one. Your baptism declares that you are a member of the body of Christ. So therefore, when you are baptized, I want to be a witness to that. Because you are declaring not just your union with Christ and your commitment to him, but you are also declaring by your baptism your commitment to those who are standing around you. What's the commitment when, when there are witnesses? What, is the, what are the witnesses' commitment to the, to, the, uh, to the persons who are being married when they are witnessing their marriage? 
Their commitment is that I will keep you accountable to what? To your vows. That's why we should take our vows so very seriously, because we're not just making vows before God, who is our witness, or to our uh, spouses. But we are also making uh, vows that, that we are going to be accountable to those who are witnessing. We are saying to the witnesses, I am asking you to keep me accountable to the vows that I make today. And they are saying also uh, in concert, and we will keep you accountable to the vows that you are making today. Therefore, when one is baptized, they are saying they are a part of the church. Uh, Dear one, you are now my business. We don't have the right to say it's none of my business in the church. Christ has made your business my business. And my business is your business. Why? Because we are one. And I cannot function properly uh, disjointed from the body. I must be united to the body in order for, for my life as a, as a believer to function the way Christ has intended. Therefore, I am your responsibility. And you are your brother's keeper. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 is going to highlight this even more. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Let's go there very briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 12. And, and, and there will be one more passage there in 1 Corinthians. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. You know, what's interesting is Paul is uh, believing and sees it important to remind believers of their baptism. But listen to this. In order to point to their unity. When Paul begins to emphasize the importance of unity, what does he, he, he point to? You were baptized in Christ, and there's only one baptism. There is one body, one baptism, and you must be united because you were baptized into Christ. Therefore, you are a part of his body. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just a few pages back. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all, listen to this word, agree. Agree. And that there is no divisions among you, but that you have been made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, this that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I, I am of, of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul has not been crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one 
so that no one would say you were baptized in the name in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. This is just highlighting the point again. In a discussion and a call to unity in the church of Corinth, where does the Apostle Paul go? He goes to the singular covenant sign of the New Testament, which displays that we have been united in Christ through baptism. We've entered the community of faith. Therefore, we should be united because we have been baptized in Christ. Next up point, baptism is a sign of assurance. Baptism is a sign of assurance. But we must be very careful uh, about this statement. Baptism does not save you. We've made this point. Baptism is a sign that you have been saved. You see the distinction there? And it's not trying to be clever with my words, but baptism does not save you. But baptism is an evidence. It's a sign that you have been saved. And this sign in the New Testament was meant to be a once-for-all sign that constantly points to the baptized person to the realities that they that you and I need in times of weak assurance. Unfortunately, for many of us, we were taught that assurance that we need is remembering that we once upon a time walked down an aisle or that we once upon a time said or prayed a sinner's prayer or that we once upon a time had hands laid upon us, that those moments are our signs or uh, moments of assurance. Do sinners pray and repent? Yes, they do. So I don't want to discount prayer, but I hope the point is clear. Baptism has unfortunately It's been removed from its rightful place and pushed to the the back and to the end of those things that have been given to us for our assurance and for our encouragement. Baptism is the sign that the Lord Jesus Christ has given his people as a continual reminder of the promise of his covenant. You are saved. In times of of doubt, in times of, of, of doubting our faith, in times of of. Lack of assurance. What do we look to? Not a sinner's prayer. Not an aisle that we walk down to. We remember our baptism. That that we were buried with Christ and that we have also risen with Christ. Baptism is a gift that has been given to us to remind us that we've been buried with Christ and that we walk in newness of life. Don't let the circumstances around your baptism cause you to, to, to dislike or to, to, to disdain your baptism. Many of us may remember who was there or not there when we were baptized. Some of us were baptized with other people at the same time. And therefore, all we can think about is who was either there with us when we were baptized or not there, who baptized us, or who we were baptized with. Your baptism should be an encouragement to you because of what your baptism symbolized. 
that you have been buried with Christ and raised to new life in him. Nothing else. Oh, your union with the church, obviously. Their union with you. Christ's presence as we are baptized. But all of those other things that I've just mentioned in terms of who you were baptized with, who baptized, all of those things don't matter. What matters is that you have been united to Christ. Every time you see a baptism, you should praise God that he is still at work, that he's still drawing people to himself. He's not failed to save all of those who are his. One final verse before we close, First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. And verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. So that he might bring to us, bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water, corresponding to that, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Now, this, if we read this verse only, then we would say baptism saves us. But we need to, again, look at all scripture in order to understand and interpret scripture. The apostle Peter says baptism and here's the emphasis, is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Isn't that interesting? Uh, most only think of baptism on the day when we were baptized or when we see others baptized, which is not every day. So how then is baptism an answer of a good conscience toward God? The Apostle Peter calls all believers to reflect upon their own baptism. And to allow that to be a reminder of the promises of God to save his people. And, and listen to the, the way he, he makes his point. God brings his people through the waters of judgment in the days of Noah. We deserve to be at the bottom of the waters of baptism, don't we? But God in his grace and in his mercy raises us up to new life. Noah and his family, they deserve to be. Judged in the waters of God's flood, along with the rest of all of the sinners who drowned that day. There was nothing inherently righteous or better in Moses, in Noah and his family than those who drowned. They were no better than they. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, preserved a people so that he might bring about the promised seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and therefore bring many sons to glory. But Noah was no better than any of those who drowned that day. 
Just as God brought Noah through the waters of judgment safely, so symbolically he does the same for us when we are baptized. We show that we are deserving of punishment, but God has mercifully and graciously given to us that which we did not earn nor deserve, nor could we repay. Salvation in Christ alone. I wonder if you can imagine your, yourself being in a building that was on fire. You're on maybe one of the higher floors. If you didn't know the building well, one of the things that you might be likely looking for is a sign that would point you toward the exit so that you might be saved. And then when you finally make your way out of the building, you might be thankful for the sign until someone reminded you, hopefully, the sign only pointed you toward the exit. The exit is actually what saves. Peter is not saying that water saves you. But that water is the sign that points us to the one who does. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to remember that sign. And when we do, it becomes a means of grace whereby we are strengthened and encouraged in our faith. Remember your baptism. Remember that you have been united to Christ. You've been united to his church. Just as Christ was dead, was buried, and has risen, so too you were dead. You were buried, and now you have been risen to walk in newness of life. And you've been united to a church. You've been united to a people. And those people have been called to take responsibility for you and you for them. And you've been called to to be united and to walk in love with them. Brothers and sisters, how are we practicing this? When was the last time you thought about your baptism? And and let me be honest with you, that as I was preparing this lesson, I was reminded again of my need to remember my baptism every single day. To remember that I have put off the old man and that I now walk in the new. Remember your baptism. I close with this passage that we opened with in Matthew chapter 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have, observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even until the very end of the age. Brothers and sisters, would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Christ, for living and dying and rising and ascending for our justification. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ to the elect and for presently sanctifying us and making us more like the Son. We thank you, Lord, that you will bring us home to glory. And in that journey, that we will have your word as sustenance for us, to sustain us, to keep us, to encourage us, and to build us up in our faith and strength. 
We thank you that we have baptism as a reminder as we journey on, that we have been united to Christ and to his church. And we thank you, as we will talk about next week, that you have given us food and drink to sustain us as we travel, and that is the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood of Christ. And as we will conclude on our next uh, fourth, fourth lesson on this, that you give us your presence when we pray together, that we can be reminded that we are not alone, and that we can come to you in boldness, knowing that you hear us. We thank you for all of these things in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Let me close with a benediction, and then I will give you some instructions and some uh, announcements. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time, now and forever. Amen.